Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 43. In this episode, we're going to finish our Conscience Formation series with the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Bear False Witness Against Your Neighbor. Most people believe this commandment merely covers lying, but it goes a whole lot deeper than that. Most people concerned with the dark place the culture and society are in think that the most common violations against natural and divine law are sexual offenses against the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. That's understandable because there doesn't seem to be any limits on sexual perversion anymore, but the most common violations actually fall under the Eighth Commandment. We'll fully explain that when we come back. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. For me, the Eighth Commandment is the most difficult one to obey. The worst thing about that is many of the most common sins against the Eighth Commandment are mortally sinful, which means violations on that level disqualifies us from communion until we make a good confession. So a tremendous amount of personal discipline and diligence are required to avoid offending God under this commandment. Let's begin by taking a look at what the Eighth Commandment obligates us to do, and then we'll follow that up with the things it forbids us to do. The Eighth Commandment obligates us to always be truthful, especially when it concerns someone's good name and reputation. We're also obligated to interpret the actions of our neighbor in the best way possible. This sounds easy and straightforward, but you'll see the difficulties as we delve deeper into what the commandment forbids. The Eighth Commandment forbids lying, false witnessing, rash judging, rash suspicions, flattery, tail-bearing, detractions, calumny, contumely, a new word for you, libel, and the telling of secrets we are obligated to keep. Now let's cover these one at a time. 
A lie is anything we know or suspect to be untrue, usually for the purpose of deceiving others. We all know that, but where most of us don't know as much as we think we do is in the so-called gray areas. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, man tends by nature toward the truth. It's a perversion of man's nature to tell a lie, because God made man to know and tell the truth. Therefore, no excuse can make the telling of a lie good since lying in itself is an evil. In other words, there's no such thing as a white lie. A lie is a lie, and it's always evil. There is, however, something called a jocose lie. A jocose lie is a story made up in order to amuse or instruct others. It's sinful if the storyteller fails to make it clear in some way that the story is not to be taken literally. The parables Jesus told would fit into this definition. I use stories to instruct people. In fact, a regular feature of this podcast is my Catholic Stories segment. We don't always tell lies with words rolling off our tongues. Sometimes we tell lies through what we do. Lies in action are called hypocrisy. According to Sirach in the Old Testament, be not a hypocrite in man's sight and keep watch over your lips. Do not exalt yourself lest you fall and thus bring dishonor upon yourself. The Lord will reveal your secrets and cast you down in the midst of the congregation because you did not come in the fear of the Lord and your heart was full of deceit. For the record, I just love Sirach. Catholics are notorious for not reading the Bible, but this book alone should give you plenty of reason to begin reading Scripture. My old buddy Sirach never minces his words. He's always straightforward, blunt, and direct. That's how I prefer everybody deal with me. That way there's never any confusion or doubt about what people mean. Anyway, let's move on to the next prohibition. Rash judging is believing something harmful about someone's character without sufficient reason. It's wrong because such disrespect for someone's reputation equates to disrespect for the person being rationally judged, and everyone deserves our respect. Let's say Deacon Jones is a plumber and works for himself. You drive by a place that has a reputation as a house of ill repute, and you see Deacon Jones' van parked out front. What would you think? Most of us would conclude that Deacon Jones is doing things he shouldn't be doing, If we ever acted on our conclusion, Deacon Jones could be ruined. The problem is that our conclusion would be rash judging. Apart from the fact that his van is parked outside, there's no evidence to believe he's up to no good. He's probably there to stop a leak, fix a broken pipe, or unclog a drain. Remember that the Eighth Commandment obliges us to interpret the actions of our neighbor in the best way possible. Now let's talk about how you can tell the truth and still commit sin. Let's begin by talking about tail-bearing. Tail-bearing is telling someone the unkind things others have said about him or her. It's simple because it provokes a person to anger, revenge, and other sins. In other words, when you're guilty of tail-bearing, you actually become an occasion of sin to someone else. By the way, if you've never attended my webinars and don't know what I mean by occasions of sin, don't hesitate to contact me so I can explain it. Detraction is the next forbidden fruit of the Eighth Commandment. Detraction is acting without an objectively valid reason to tell another's faults and failings to persons who didn't previously know them. 
Detraction's wrong because everyone has a right to his good name and reputation, whether or not we subjectively believe he deserves it. The flip side of this is that we may tell the faults of another to the proper authority, such as teachers, parents, police, etc., if we believe the wrongdoer can be helped or stopped from his wrongdoing, or to keep the wrongs from becoming worse. It's important to stress, though, that we should be more concerned with seeing a sinner break with sin than to see him punished. Now let's learn some new words. Most people know one of the words, and some people know two of the words, but hardly any of you know all three words. Let's begin with calumny. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, calumny is the making of remarks contrary to the truth which harm the reputation of others and give occasion of false judgment concerning them. In other words, telling lies about people. A great example that everyone can see these days is the way the lamestream media constantly lies about President Trump. The media and the Dems in the House have teamed up to destroy the president with false charges of a quid pro quo in order to impeach him. Most of us have read the transcript they're basing these accusations on, and it's clear there wasn't any sort of quid pro quo. The only people who buy into the quid pro quo accusation are people who hear voices and take medication, members of the Flat Earth Society, and blatant liars who hate Trump and this country. Now let's talk about the word that 99% of you six-packers have never heard. It's pronounced contumely. Contumely is showing contempt for a person by unjustly dishonoring him. It's committed by ignoring the person, refusing to show the proper signs of respect, detraction, or ridicule. I was recently guilty of contumely when I was angry and refused to shake hands with another man. As you'll see shortly, all sins committed against the Eighth Commandment require reparation. Consequently, I apologized to this man, and fortunately, my apology was accepted. Now let's talk about libel. Libel is any false or malicious written or printed statement or any sign, picture, or effigy intending to injure the person's reputation in any way. Based on this definition of libel, I've long wondered how most political cartoonists can morally justify their work. I know political cartoons are morally acceptable, but I'm not knowledgeable enough to figure out where the cartoonist crosses the line of morality. I've never pursued an answer to this for two reasons. First, I've never known nor met a political cartoonist, so I've never had a reason to research the answer. The other reason is a little more mercenary. I have my hands full just trying to increase my understanding of and compliance with the Eighth Commandment. I really don't need to bother with researching anything regarding this commandment unless it's immediately applicable. Believe it or not, the Eighth Commandment also covers secrets. We have to keep secrets if we promise to do so, or if our office requires it, or the good of others demands it. This extends to the seal of confession as it applies to lay people. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the secret of the sacrament of reconciliation is sacred and cannot be violated under any pretext. Therefore, if someone somehow gains knowledge of matter from confession, he can never reveal that knowledge. This requires a little explanation on a couple of levels. Let's say you're standing outside the confessional waiting your turn to confess. 
The person with the priest ahead of you has a hearing problem, so he tends to do what most hearing impaired people do, and that's speak a little more loudly. You accidentally overhear some of the things this person confessed. Now you're as obligated as the priest to never say anything about what you heard. The obligation goes even further. If you witness someone committing a sin, that is, some matter for confession, you have to treat it as if it's already confessed. Your obligation to do this even extends to sins of non-Catholics that you witness, because they may one day become Catholic. Obviously, this doesn't apply to telling law enforcement authorities about a crime you witnessed. Just use a little common sense and remember that we're more concerned with seeing the sinner break with sin than we are seeing that person punished. If you think about this long enough, you'll begin to wonder about reading the private things other people have written. So let's briefly address that. You can never read the letters or private writings of others without their permission, unless the motive is to prevent grave harm to oneself, another, or society. In other words, you can't read the things people write unless they ask you to, or if you think they may be suicidal or something like that. Now, what is our obligation when we sin against the Eighth Commandment? According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and this is a really good quote, every offense committed against justice and truth entails the duty of reparation, even if its author has already been forgiven. When it's impossible publicly to make reparation for a wrong, it must be made secretly. If someone who has suffered harm cannot be directly compensated, he must be given moral satisfaction in the name of charity. The duty of reparation also concerns offenses against another's reputation. This reparation, moral and sometimes material, must be evaluated in terms of the extent of the damage inflicted. It obliges in conscience. In other words, reparation for any sin against the Eighth Commandment must be made. If the person offended can't get justice from the offender, the victim can bring legal action against the offender as a last resort. That pretty much sums up the Eighth Commandment. This commandment is so complex, as you'll begin to realize when you actually try to live and obey it, you might want to refer back to this episode from time to time. We've covered all the Ten Commandments, but we're still not finished with what we need to fully form a right conscience. The last thing we have to cover is the Catholic Church's laws and precepts. The Catholic Church has the authority to make laws and precepts, an authority granted by Christ himself. Jesus gave this authority when he told the apostles in Luke 10.16, He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. To Peter, the Catholic Church's first pope, Jesus said in Matthew 16.19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This power was given to the Pope in a special way, as is evident by the presentation of the keys made in the preceding verse. Finally, the bishops, by way of their predecessors, the apostles, were given the same power in a lesser way in Matthew 18.18, when Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The reason the church makes laws and precepts, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is, quote, 
to guarantee to the faithful the very necessary minimum of prayer and moral effort and in the growth of love of God and neighbor, end quote. All Catholics are obligated to keep these laws and precepts under the pain of sin. There are six precepts. Here they are. Number one, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. This precept requires us to keep holy the Lord's Day, to observe special holy days that are meant to recall us to the gospel message, and to avoid those activities that hinder the renewal of soul and body. We covered this when we examined the third commandment. Number two, you shall confess your serious sins at least once a year. This precept, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, ensures preparation for the Eucharist by reception of the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Making an annual confession means preparing to receive the Eucharist by making a good confession, usually prior to the Easter season. This is the bare minimum. The Church recommends confession at least once a month, but teaches that weekly confession is much better. Number three. You shall humbly receive your Creator in Holy Communion at least during the Easter season. We must receive Holy Communion under pain of mortal sin between the first Friday of Lent and Trinity Sunday in the United States. The Universal Church ends Easter season on Pentecost Sunday, but the Holy See granted permission for the U.S. bishops to extend it the extra week to Trinity Sunday for the benefit of U.S. Catholics. The church requires the annual communion as a minimum because of what Christ taught us in John 6:51. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Although the church only requires annual reception of the Eucharist, it's to be understood that this is the minimum. The church recommends weekly communion, but teaches that daily reception is even better. It doesn't matter if you receive communion every single day. You still have to form the intention of fulfilling this precept, or you don't actually fulfill it at all. I always form my intention on Ash Wednesday, so the next communion I receive automatically fulfills this precept, even if I don't consciously think about it. Let's move on to number four. You shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the church. There are only two fast days in the United States, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. All Fridays of the year are days of penance, but only Fridays of Lent, beginning with the Friday after Ash Wednesday, are obligatory days of abstinence under pain of sin. On those Fridays outside of Lent, we should perform some act of penance at least as sacrificial as abstinence or actually abstain. If we go through a substantial part of the year without abstaining from meat or doing penance, we commit a mortal sin. A day of fast is a day where we eat one full meal and two other meals that together don't equal one full meal. Eating between meals is forbidden. However, we're permitted liquids including milk and fruit juice. Just don't fill up on them. <laughs> All Catholics from the age of 18 through the age of 59 are obligated to fast. A day of abstinence is a day when we don't eat meat. Seafood, however, is permitted. In fact, we can eat any cold-blooded animal. All Catholics 14 years of age and over are obliged to abstain. This obligation never ends. Number five. 
you shall help provide for the needs of the church. That means that the faithful are obligated to assist with the material needs of the church, each according to his own ability. This is according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Number six, the faithful are to observe the marriage laws of the church and give religious training to their children. The ordinary marriage law of the church is that a couple has to be married before a priest or deacon and two witnesses. The couple's conjugal relations must always be open to the transmission of human life. That means the only method for spacing births must be one of the natural family planning methods. Regarding the religious training of children, classes at the parish, such as preparation for First Holy Communion CCD class, aren't enough. Your parish priest, teachers who are charged with teaching religious education, and these classes are great for supplementary religious education, but the church has taught for 2,000 years that the first and most necessary teachers are the parents. Now, between this episode and the four previous episodes, you have everything you need to properly form your conscience. Remember, every Catholic has two primary obligations, to become a saint and share the faith. The material we've covered in five episodes goes directly toward becoming a saint. And remember this, if you don't want to become a saint, you have to ask yourself, why in the world are you a Catholic? Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the blaze. Things seemed relatively placid when a pro-life group set up a small demonstration with brochures and bagpipes at George Washington University in the nation's capital but that peace wouldn't last. You really need to see this. The anger, hatred, disrespect, and fascist attempts at quelling free speech are appalling. You'll also want to note that any time these spoiled brats are confronted with logic, they have no idea how to respond. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Blabberbuzz. A 12-year-old Oakland Park girl was arrested and charged with a felony for forming a gun with her fingers and pointing it at a few of her fellow classmates. Welcome to modern America. 
You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the blaze. Several Democratic presidential candidates called for the repeal of laws that requires HIV-positive individuals to disclose their status to sexual partners during a CNN town hall on LGBTQ issues. More idiocy from the purveyors of the culture of death. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. Attorney General William Barr said declining religious values and the loss of the traditional moral order is causing many of society's ills. For the record, Bill Barr is a devout Catholic and a member of Opus Dei. That makes him top-notch in my book. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The owners and two employees of two related pornography websites were charged in federal court with sex trafficking. Now maybe we'll begin to pursue sanity again by legally suppressing pornography and criminalize pornography for profit. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. The most famous murder case in American history was the Tate-LaBianca murders. Charles Manson and the so-called Manson family were convicted of seven counts of first-degree murder. Manson was sentenced to death, but his sentence was commuted to life when the Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional. I remember the trial. It lasted for six long months. Manson began the trial as his own defense lawyer, but the judge later appointed an attorney to make certain he got a fair trial. For six long months, the judge bent over backward to ensure Manson and his co-defendants got the full benefit of the due process guaranteed by the Constitution. As disgusting as the murders are that were committed by the Manson family, I believe they had a right to be judged by a jury of their peers, and they should have been afforded the full benefit of the right of due process. One of the reasons I served my country in the Army was to defend that right, all of our rights. 
Had Manson and his co-defendants been denied their rights, most of the country would have been furious despite that everyone believed in their guilt. Because if the right of due process is denied to any one citizen, it can be denied to all citizens. In American history, there have been two presidents impeached, but articles of impeachment drawn up for three. President Andrew Johnson was impeached in 1868. Richard Nixon was the first president in history to resign in 1974, and that was the only thing that saved him from being impeached. In 1999, Bill Clinton was impeached. All three of these impeachment processes have several things in common, but let me first explain this constitutional process for those who don't know. In a nutshell, the House of Representatives is the congressional body that actually impeaches a president. However, that doesn't mean he's going to be removed from office. The United States Senate must convict an impeached president for him to be removed from office. The reason Presidents Johnson and Clinton remained in office after impeachment is because, in each case, the Senate refused to convict. As I said, these impeachment processes have several things in common. In each case, the House of Representatives and its Speaker went out of the way to ensure everything was fair to the President. They made sure the President would be able to face his accusers. They made sure he was able to have legal representation present at all the hearings. They made sure he and or his lawyers and members of his party could ask questions of witnesses. They made sure all the documents relevant to the case were available to the president and his defenders. Everything was open, above board, and completely transparent. Every constitutional protection afforded to every other citizen of the United States was most certainly given to Presidents Johnson, Nixon, and Clinton. Why isn't President Trump being given the same constitutionally guaranteed protections? Murderer Charles Manson was given much, much more constitutional protection than President Trump is getting. We treat terrorists better than this president is being treated. That thoroughly disgusting criminal member of Congress, Adam Schiffless Schiff, backed by Speaker of the House Nancy Stretch Pelosi, has lied, calumniated the president, and run a Soviet-style hearing of his committee in secret and behind closed doors. He not only denies every constitutional protection for the president, but Republican members of Congress, including members of Schiff's committee, aren't allowed to sit in on the hearings. They're not even allowed to see the documents associated with it. The Democrats have claimed they were going to impeach this president since the day after he was elected, some three months before he was sworn into office. They've never been able to accept that Crooked Hillary lost the election, and they're determined to overturn the result of that election, nullifying the will of 60 million American citizens. This is called a soft coup, and it's an act of treason. Unfortunately, there's no constitutional or statutory provision to stop the Democratic Party traitors, so the will of the American people is being abrogated. Even if it was somehow acceptable to treat the President of the United States this way, this is most certainly an unacceptable way to treat the American people. We have the right to see and hear what's going on behind closed doors. We have the right to know who the President's accusers are. We have the right to know who the traitors are that are trying to overthrow this President and the will of the American people. 
These slimy Democrats need to be reminded that they work for us, not the other way around. The entire impeachment farce is treasonous, but there's no way to stop it. For the sake of the office of the presidency and the continued existence of our democratic republic, I hope when this is over, the largely worthless members of Congress will enact laws that will prevent this sort of treason from happening to future presidents and will hold traitors like Schiff and Pelosi accountable because they should be led away from the halls of Congress in chains. The only solace we can have during this attempted bloodless coup is the knowledge that President Trump will win by a landslide victory in 2020. But this whole fiasco underscores why we need an Article 5 Convention of States, and I strongly encourage you to jump on board that train. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Today I have two stories for you that show a contrast of consciences. In a section of Southern California before that state was completely given over to evil, there was a poor but worthy Hispanic family. Several years after the father died, the mother passed away due to complications after a major surgery, leaving eight children without parents. The oldest child was a 17-year-old girl. She was a frail and weak child, but she took on the burden of caring for her brothers and sisters. She tackled this new responsibility with courage and resolve, keeping the children clean, well-fed, and regularly attending school. A social worker complimented her on the outstanding job she was doing. The girl replied, I can't take credit for something I have to do. But dear, objected the social worker, you don't have to. You could get out of it. The girl paused for a moment and said, Yeah, that's true. But what about the have-to that's inside of me, my conscience? Now contrast that to this. A rich man who lived near a mill was so annoyed by the monotonous sound of the water and clanking wheels of the mill that he wished at any price to get rest. Since the owner wouldn't sell the mill, the rich man finally bought an automatic organ that continually played sweet melodies. This is how he achieved his end, because the music was louder than the disagreeable noise of the mill, and he was no longer disturbed. Some sinners do what the rich man did instead of what the girl did. Their bad conscience rages and thunders inside them like the rushing waters of the mill, and that's a horrible torment. When conscience reminds them of their sinfulness, death, and eternity, they say others are worse than I am. They drug their conscience with pleasures and seek distractions the world offers. Listen to your conscience and follow it. If you examine your conscience every day, especially before you go to confession, you'll have no need of drowning out the voice inside you. In the words of the girl, but what about the have-to inside of you? Confession is the surest way to peace. Hey, six-packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. 
I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 